At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Honestly, I don't even know what to say about this one. What an incredible honor and privilege to speak with Paulette Poitra. And I'm so glad that you are listening to this today. This is a tough, tough conversation for a lot of people to listen to. You, a lot of things you don't want to hear. There's a lot of things I didn't want to hear. A lot of things that I resisted. But it is what it is. The lived experience of this woman is not something that I want to think is real or true, but it is, and we've got to deal with it. If you want to fix it, you first have to face it. Please, have a listen, tune in, and I hope that you find listening to this show, to this particular episode, to this conversation, is as much of a privilege as it was for me having it. Thank you for tuning in. In three, two, one. And we're rolling, Paulette. We are live. We are recording. We are doing it. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in to Operation Tango Romeo, the Tremor Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. But you know what? As I've said often before, trauma is trauma is trauma. And one of the many um, areas that I've been wanting to explore for so long and have not been able to is trauma within our First Nations communities. So I am so blessed uh, to have Paulette Poitras on the show today. Hello, my friend. Hello. How are you? <laughs> Hello. We've actually been talking for a while now, uh, but just before I click the record button. And so not to be disingenuous to our listeners, but um, let's start with prairie harm reduction and talk a little bit about that, uh, the work that you do there and the scope of, of that work. Um, so how I start everything is... Come to you with a good heart. Um, my GST name is Paulette Putra. People say Poitras, they're saying it wrong. That's just uh, that's just a non-Indigenous way to say it, I guess. Um, <laughs> I work at Prairie Harm Reduction, been there for almost three years coming up October. I've been working with uh, family support, but Prairie Harm Reduction um, just recently this past year opened up a safe consumption site, and we've been dealing with um, overdoses, crazy amounts of overdoses um, within our city, and we were hoping to get funded by government, um, and we were denied our funding yet again our funding was cut. And even though that we've supported and given them the, I guess, the resources and the information, statistics and all that of the necessity of this, 
it was denied. So what I do at Prairie Harm Reduction, I work with uh, the families. So we try to um, prevent apprehensions. So we meet with the ministry. Ministry was the one we have the, the contract with. They have, we're housed through Prairie Harm Reduction. Um, we do a lot of the checks with the moms, the dads, the caregivers, and we make sure that they have food and pampers and all of these things are given to us by donation of our community. We meet with um, the families and if they need um, any form of uh, advocacy with um, the ministry or even with um, the social assistance programming, just uh, any kind of programming that they need advocacy with, we're there to help them. We provide resources. Um, we do transportations for medicals for the children. They need um, medical transportation. We do food banks, pickups and drop-offs on every Tuesdays and Thursdays. So we're pretty busy. Um, we're always on the go. We never know what our shift's going to look like. And we're also... Um, based on crisis. So if crisis occurs, that's where we go. And that's kind of our thing that we always kind of tell the parents, like we could be doing an introduction of our services with them. And we let them know, like, if there's a crisis that's going on with somebody else, we'll wrap up what we're doing with you very quickly and then attend that crisis and help them. But we, same goes with you. Like if we're going to go back to that family, if they're in need of crisis, we'll go and help them. We serve about 600 um, families within Saskatoon. And um, they've been in operation for many years. And it's changed throughout the years. And there's a lot of great things and building capacity that has happened within Prairie Harm Reduction. So I'm really grateful and really honored to work in such a good space. Um, we work with, we don't um, judge people on addictions and we understand that parents have the right to be around their um, children and that they should be around their children because that's part of um, reunification. So that's what I do there. Well, the history of taking children away um, <laughs> is long and what a day that we've picked to have this conversation um, mm -hmm. today there's a lot of flags at half mast for 215 the bodies of children that were found in Kamloops um, there's so much that the public is still completely oblivious to when they hear residential schools, they, they go, they, they just don't get it. They don't understand the horror of the residential schools. What is it that people need to know about what that system did? I could only come from my own perspective. That's what I was taught in anything. When you speak about something, you can only talk about your own stories. Um, but since in time immemorial, 150 years, Canada was established. 
we have this colonial structure, this colonial thought of erasing indigenous culture, indigenous people. And if we were going to use them, and I'm speaking in the voice of government, if they were going to use them, it was to be workhorses. It was, it was to do work for them. So residential school was an experiment. It's the same experiment that they had in the Holocaust. We have the same types of things that happened. You know, we have reservations here in Canada, which is the same as um, concentration camps. They're numbered. Every Indigenous person in Canada, they have a treaty number. They have to be registered under an act to tell them that they're First Nations. They did the same with the Jewish folks. They put a number on their arm. When I went and visited in Israel two years ago, we went and seen a Holocaust museum. I was with my wife. And we were so triggered and traumatized by it because the same thing that happened to them is the same thing that happened to us. It was Canada's experiment to try it. But they weren't going to try it but themselves. They were going to try it on us. And they had these schools that were mandatory for children to attend. And in these schools, they were going to teach them. I'm going to quickly close this window. So I was wondering if that lawnmower was me or you. No, it's me. Okay. (laughs) Give me a second. All right. We are speaking with Paulette Poitras out of Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. And what a conversation we're having. Sorry. It's all right. Um, So with my own family... With residential schools. We have many residential school survivors. You know, and... My grandparents on both sides of my family, my mother's side and my father's side, are residential school survivors. There's only one that's alive. It's my grandfather, Warren Kay. My grandmother, Rose Kay, she passed away five years ago. My grandmother on my dad's side, Muriel McNabb, she passed away when I was two, so maybe 34 years ago. My grandfather has um, been passed for 12 years. All residential school survivors. My father was a residential school survivor. He's passed as well before years coming up in June uh, 14th. Me and my sister are day school survivors. My mother is a day school survivor. And the impacts of residential school, the trauma that has occurred is deep. You're taking children away from their families, forcibly removing them by law. If you didn't go, you were jailed. Children were starved. There was mental 
emotional, spiritual, physical, sexual abuse that happened. You cut their hair. My mom talked about my father saying there was biscuits that they had to eat, these white calcium biscuits. A lot of them had their teeth messed with. They were given glasses if they didn't need them. And anybody that knows that if you mess with your teeth and your eyesight, it'll make you sick later on in life. They were ridiculed for speaking their language. As a result, my father, he couldn't even barely speak his language. My grandfather, um, Calvin Patra, he uh, there in Dakota. There's there's male version and there's female version of saying things. The male version he wouldn't speak it because it was beaten out of him and it just traumatized him to say it in that way. So he spoke in female dialect because that was his grandmother who taught him how to speak. So he would speak that way. He's the one that taught me how to speak Dakota. And the breakdown of parenting, my family comes from a broken home. My grandparents were actually forced to marry each other. Because they were from two different residential schools. My grandmother was 15. My grandfather was 19. They got married. They had six children. There was alcohol, abuse, substance use. There was violence. And that family broke up when my father was 12. At the same time, they were all forced to go to school. All of them, except for the baby, which was my late Auntie Sherry. But every single one of them. From a three-year-old, I have an uncle who is alive. Three years old, he remembers that disconnect, being forced and being raised by nuns and priests that were mean to them that abused them frequently. To go home to dysfunction. You've taken parents, these children away from these parents, and when you've taken them away and they don't know how to parent, and when they become parents because they're searching for love, they're searching for that, that wholesomeness, that everybody is that ideal of happiness. But you give trauma to them as well. It breaks them. They don't know how to parent after. They'll only parent up to the point of when they were that age. When they felt parented. And then their development is arrested because of the trauma. Which Absolutely. Is what, which is exactly what trauma does. Mm-hmm. I was... So that's, um, that's, that's my family. Mm-hmm. You know, and my, my father, he... My grandfather, he 
struggled with alcoholism. So did my dad. So did so do I. You know, I've been eight years sober. It's a long but, time. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, and counting. And takes a lot to break cycles. To talk about your trauma in a way that it's okay. Because the biggest thing about trauma is people want to silence it. They want to, you know, let's not talk about what happened. You know, I honestly believe my father died of trauma, from trauma. Because when he had to go and tell his story about his experience in Indian residential school, and they were doing a payout in the claim, his health failed. Because he'd... He's starting to talk about stuff he haven't talked about in years. He told the stories, horrific stories. You know, and when that school was being shut down, I went there. And they were bulldozing it down. And me and my father went there. I went with him and he was angry. And I stood there because there's one teaching that he's given me was to call for our names when we've gone through things. If we traveled somewhere, we're coming home. And I stood there. Called him. Called my dad's name. Four times and my dad broke down crying and he was so angry. He could just feel it. Because that place took every innocence you could have had. Robbed him of everything. And he replaced it with anger. He walked through life in in anger. He was robbed of happiness. Of joy. I remember that. He purposely... Brought me to that. The number one human emotional need is affirmation. And that is something that people need to understand, that we all need affirmation, a sense of you matter, I hear you, I see you, and you matter. What has been done and is continuing still to this day, the unfortunate people that say, well, it's in the past, get over it. Just like people say about any kind of trauma. Um, they just, they 96 don't. 96 was they, the last residential school closure, and that was in Labrette. 1997. 96. What year? 96. 96, yeah. And it wasn't that long ago. No, it was like yesterday. I was 27 years old, or 26 years old. You know, mm-hmm. um, it's, it, this is yesterday, the, the last residential school. And the damage from it, you don't just get over trauma. I was in a war in 1994. It's a very long time ago, longer than the last residential school. It still affects me deeply. Every bit of my life uh, is affected. My family, my relationships, um, 
everything about my life is affected because of what I experienced in a war zone as a peacekeeper in 1994. So there is no just getting over it. There is managing it and looking at it through a more healthy lens. And there is recovery. But there is no such thing as just get over it. Just let go of the past. I am letting go of the past. It's not letting go of me. And now we're looking at an entire people. And the every nation uh, within the First Nations, every reservation, every tribe, all with the same or similar struggle across North America. And really, every indigenous people on the planet going through a similar struggle all being erased the number one human emotional need taken from them the sense of I matter gone my wife and I were in Bora Bora and Tahiti uh, two years ago French Polynesia and it was the same as I learned the history they were colonized by the French and they were not allowed to children were removed they had their own residential school system equivalent uh, they were beaten or jailed if they were heard speaking their um, native tongue uh, it was French or nothing uh, for years and that only that did not change it wasn't a long time ago when, <laughs> when that was let go of it, it's also very recent why do you think that around the world every time colonization happens indigenous people are, I mean, I have my own theories, but why do you think Indigenous people are erased and destroyed and forced to conform? Fear. Of? We had our own ways of being. We had our own governance. We had our own way of being healthy. Because we existed prior to. And the need for power mm. is based from fear. The need for control is based from fear. You're afraid of something if you want to control it. When we made and signed treaties... They were done by very ugly tactics. There was starvation was the key point. A lot of people were starving. You know, they killed majority of our staple. Um, for the need of for furs for fur hats no it was to take away the food source on purpose but it was also it was also based by money Mm -hmm. you know like a form of currency but definitely to take away our staple now giant crimes always have multiple reasons there's usually a primary reason but there's always secondary and uh, other tertiary reasons and um, well, the primary reason was for control. Absolutely, that's the bottom line. You know, whether it be through yeah, starvation. If we're or, talking about anything, if the 
main reason, if you wanted the main reason, it was to have gain access to resources, lands and resources. That's still the same fight to, to, the, to this date. I um, have, I'm so grateful for this conversation. I have thought for years and that the reason that one of the reasons that indigenous people are wiped out and corrupted, um, the image of any indigenous person anywhere in the world is changed from an independent living off the land in sync with nature people that is when they are first encountered they are called savages or uncivilized and then as it goes to the the full transition is uh, oh now the this proud people you're just a bunch of addicts or alcoholics uh, or criminals and that is the same pattern around the planet it's the same it's any country, any continent, any hemisphere, and it's the same. And I, and I believe the reason that that is done is because any indigenous person, um, which we all used to be if you go far enough back, you know, everybody's ancestors were indigenous at one point if you go far enough back. But uh, every indigenous person is a symbol that you don't need the government look, we're fine. We don't need your system. We were fine before you showed up, and we're fine now. The system is the problem, not the solution. And that symbol of I don't need the system is terrifying to the system because the system, whatever government that is, like you said, needs control. And if there's some reminder So that is why Indigenous people are erased. Because any reminder, any semblance, any symbol of, you don't need the government. The government needs you. Power and corruption and greed and evil, because what else do you call it, has to erase that threat. That's, That's what I believe. I believe the same thing. When I talk about, like, when people talk about this 215 children found in a mass grave underneath a residential school, that's not news to us. That hasn't been news to any of us. And I speak that on behalf of almost every Indigenous person. Why was there grave sites and incinerators instead of playgrounds? Well, you just get over it, Paulette. Just let just 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 get over it because it's it's not really a big deal. You see, I have stories of my dad's uncle talking about this kid, he challenged one of the priests, Nubret, sat there with my dad's uncle. His name was Junior. 
first name was Noel, but he was a junior, so they just called him Junior. And he was my Mushroom, so I called Mushroom Junior. He sat there and he talked about this kid embarrassing a priest. Made him look stupid. And they did that through touch football. And he tackled the priest and hurt him. So the priest that night beat the shit out of this kid. Doused his whole bed with water and left all the windows open. And Mushroom, he said, I remember hearing this kid crying, moaning. And we couldn't go and comfort him. The next day, that kid was dead. Died of pneumonia. They took the whole mattress and everything and just went and burnt it. He said, and they told the family he ran away. What year do you think that would have been? Give or take, roughly. Mm, 40s, maybe? 50s? 40s? 50s? In my parents' lifetime. Yep. When my parents were children. Mm-hmm. And he said, the one thing he said to all of us is he kept that bed open for a long time and he would go and he'd hit that bed to remind us. To make an example. He said, nobody knew his name because he was from way up north and he couldn't speak the language, couldn't speak English. He said, I'm pretty sure he was Dene. And he said, that kid was big and he tackled him, embarrassed him. So beat the shit out of him. Killed him. There's been all kinds of movies about World War II and uh, concentration camps and all kinds of things. I cannot think of a single movie that's ever been done about this. Bring home the children. I'm going to write that down. Is it accurate? I haven't seen it. And I believe that's the only one. And apparently wasn't exactly Star Wars, was it? (laughs) You know, um, I know a lot of movies and I've never heard of it. And that's the problem. That's the problem. Is that there is so much ignorance and just unawareness of these stories. There's also that one. The kid was going to be a hockey player. It's recent. Might come to me later, but I want to say war horse or something like that. I'm not sure. 
probably getting the name wrong, but maybe two two movies that I've known that talk about it. There's a lot of stories. You know, I have a lot of my family stories that talk about that. Fast forwarding to today, in the news just in the last week here, um, Ethan Bear on the Edmonton Oilers. It was so many people were touched and just smiling to see uh, his name on the back of his jersey written in, in his language, um, which was just beautiful. And I have not read, and I don't know exactly what the comments were that were made to him, but uh, I'm just going to accept the uh, how it's been treated that they were racist comments. I don't know what exactly what they were. I haven't seen them, haven't looked for them. But um, we like to believe that we have moved forward so far, and we have made progress. We have moved forward. But we've got a ways to go. We're not there yet. And it's going to be a while until we get there. Mm-hmm. But that's got to be... Did you hear about the comments that were made about Ethan Bear? Yeah, he's from um, Saskatchewan. He's from Ochap. Ochapway's First Nation, which is here in Saskatchewan. It's in Southern uh, Reserve. Um, Ethan Bear is... It's funny, Oiler country is right here in Saskatchewan. We don't have our own team, so... Yeah. We have Ethan Bear, which is homegrown. It's just one of those res kids that made it. And that's awesome. Um and racism in, in the hockey culture. It's nothing new. No. Well, Theo Fleury you know, talking about like yeah. Yeah, I mean, he, he, he's only he's only part native, and uh, or indigenous, and and please uh, correct me the second I say whatever. You know, I don't use the right um, uh, terminology. He's Métis. Yeah, he's, he's Métis, and mm-hmm. um, uh, and it's not overly visible. Like you can kind of tell, but it's not overly visible in Theo, and yet uh, he he went through it as well. You know. And now that it's a different time, has it been getting better from your perspective? Has racism, it's not getting better? In hockey? No. Not in hockey? What about it just in general, in general society? No. People aren't getting better? No. Because when people are called on it, it becomes white fragility. It becomes about their, you know, I'm not one, I've done this, I have. I have two native friends, you know, if I get Mm. three, then, you know, maybe I might be too much of a, a friend to indigenous people. I don't think so. I'm 36. I've faced racism my whole life. I present as native. People see it. That's the first thing that they notice. Then they notice I'm female. And if they're really paying attention, then they'll notice that I'm queer. Part of the two spirit community. Do I think, no, I believe racism is alive and well. 
it's grossly alive. Um, and it's acceptable. It's been acceptable for sure in the prairies for my whole life. And then, like, you go into a hockey arena with kids. And hockey's competitive in the prairies for sure. And listen to the stands of the parents. The garbage that comes out of their mouth. No, it's alive and well. You're talking about things that indigenous people have been saying for a long time. And do I think it's getting better? No, I don't. I don't think it's getting better. I feel like there's moments of like, yes, I have allyship with non-Indigenous people that get it. And when I say racism is alive and well, I'm not talking about those people. They know that. They know that because they've learned from it. But those types of things have been around for so long. It's so normalized. And we were talking before the recording mm-hmm. about, you know, racism, having racial slurs, racial jokes, and the privacy of your own home. That's where it needs to be taken care of. And I feel like it's not taken care of because that's where you can say it the most. People don't know it. They could, you could say those things in, in the inside of your home. And you can go out and you can present as, you know, I'm this really great person with Indigenous communities. But in the safety of your home and in your own echo chamber, you can make these kinds of jokes. And everybody's going to laugh because it's a normal thing. It's normalized. And that's what we were talking about before. And those types of jokes, yeah. I'm 51. So I'll repeat what I said off air. Um, in the... 80s, uh, the native jokes were everywhere, and everybody thought that they were funny, and I thought that they were funny, and I said them too. And, but I don't hear them anymore. Matter of fact, if or any uh, of of any race, um, I don't hear any racist jokes anymore. And the last time I I heard a batch of them was. I won't throw anybody under the bus, but it, it was a group of us, uh, a backcountry quad trip around the campfire, and and it just started up. And I, I was a bit taken aback and thought, oh, this, geez, I haven't heard this in a great long time. And then they got so dark, these jokes, that I stood up, I said, okay, that's enough. Uh, I got a rule is that if I can't say it in front of the person I'm talking about, then it's not funny. And fuck all y'all. And I left. There's about 15 of us around the fire, and I'm the only one that, that did that. And I didn't throw a fit. I just said, enough. And I walked away. Well, they were all scrambling after, because they were all so ashamed and so embarrassed. Uh, uh, it's like, Why? Are you, are you like, why are you kissing my butt after the jokes weren't about me? Like you, you, you look inside yourself and you decide, but 
and, and that was a good 12 years ago. But, uh, and I was shocked then to hear it. But in the privacy of the own home or, you know, quiet, private conversations, maybe it's the circles, I don't know, but I just, I never hear these jokes. The jokes I heard in the 80s, I never, ever hear. And if somebody was to make even the slightest uh, uh, comment, which is still occasionally heard, they're shut down hard, which is why I oh, was I was no. under I was under the impression. You know, you know, the last time I heard a racist joke about Indigenous people mm. was at Country Thunder. I was there. They made they had a platform of it. Oh my they god! They had a meeting guy there, and that's all he did. And he was like, "No, we're no, we're just joking around." No. Yeah, that was a native fella. I forget the name of that couple. I heard that. And and while it was happening, my wife and I are sending messages to the producers. Like, we're all sitting there in fucking shock. We couldn't believe it. Yeah, yeah but, but how many right. people that were that... sitting in shock and how many people were laughing? Uh, there was a lot. I'm sure. I'm there... indigenous. I'm going to be able to see it and hear it and yeah. feel it. So People looking right at me and having a good laugh. What do you think, like, how, how is that, that, that comedy duo? They had, been to, around? they had to do an apology. I remember that. I don't remember that, but what was the name they of that? Do you like remember a, their name? An apology. I forget their names. Like, but that wasn't even that long ago. Well, he was, he was a, uh, they were American and, um, and it was a white guy and, an, and, and, uh, well, in, in the States, they, they say Indian. So it was a white guy and an Indian and, he was, uh, American, yeah, yeah, because he's American, and that's the term mm-hmm. that they use. Um, but they've been they've been together as as a duo, as a comedy duo, saying those jokes for like twenty years. And it's okay. No, I'm not saying it's okay. Okay, uh, w- 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 that's w- w- that's what I'm saying. It, no. It's been going on for a long time. But but it's he's a native okay. guy. Like, why would he do that? He himself is he is, is, is to do it. Well, he gets paid to be that guy. I suppose so. He gets paid to make it okay. When you heard that and it was happening, what was that experience for you? Because, I mean, just my wife and I and everybody around us were just wide-eyed and shocked. Like, everybody around us were like, what the fuck is this? Like, we, we couldn't believe it. And that was everybody that was sitting around us. We didn't know any of them. They're all complete strangers. But we're all sitting there with our mouths open, wide-eyed, like, what the hell is going on? Did we go into a time machine? What is this? And uh, and everybody was, was texting and sending messages. There's nobody laughing around us. You know, nobody. So, like, well, but for you, what was that experience like? It must have been so alienating. It was gross. But was I shocked? No. Was I shocked? No. I could be just minding my own business, walking. Somebody rolled down the window. Fucking Indian. Drive off. That's a normal occurrence in my life since I was a kid. And I'm talking about like even going to school in Fort Capel and having a teacher calling me a fucking stupid Indian. And you're only in your thirties. People talk about it, but it's happened. And you're young. You're only in your thirties, and you're having these experiences all the time, still today in this world. 
How do we? It's fix always it? funny when they're far away. They'll they'll do the this still. That still happens, and that happens from young people. Yeah, younger than me. What do you think of uh, that baseball team, the Chiefs, like the tomahawk chop that they do? I thought that was gross. Yeah, from the get. How do you feel about when they did the Hitler salute? Who did? It's the same thing. Mm. Could do clips side by side. It looks the same way. Mm. How do we fix but it, in Paula? Means of like sports, people are trying to. Oh, you know, we've been doing that forever. Doesn't make it acceptable. Do I think it's getting better? No. How do we? Fix Why it? did it take so long for the Canadian government to issue um, an apology for residential schools? Why did it take, in just this past week, why did it take so long for the Canadian government to say, okay, yeah, we're going to lower our flags today? Took a while. I didn't know that. You know, we had um, a tragedy just close to here in Saskatoon and Humboldt. And without question, everybody did it. Without having to be scolded, everybody did it. And in fact, the indigenous community, when that tragedy hit, were the biggest support. And you look at the comparison, 16 dead from a horrible accident compared to 250. I don't even even see that as a comparison. I don't even see that as a comparison. I'm just talking about why people took so long to show respect that's what i'm talking about that tragedy is no worse than this other tragedy not one is worse than the other they're both horrible they're both horrific i'm talking about humanity that's what i'm talking about so am i Um, there's no humanity when it comes to indigenous people yeah, that's that's how come we can have numbers like three thousand of indigenous women going missing and murdered and it's ignored. How can we have more than three thousand kids in mass graves across Canada under Canada's watch? And I'm told to get over it. That's just one residential school. When they were doing development in Regina, Pinky Road, they broke the the road there. They hit the mass grave. That's how they stumbled across it. It was unmarked for a long time. It took multiple people, multiple hard work, petitioning to even protect that grave because when they were doing new infrastructure they were still trying to purchase land right by that gravesite the guy that owned that land was offered so much money but he had integrity and he chose not to 
those types of things have, have, have been occurring since time immemorial. And I say that time immemorial because it's been happening since colon, uh, colonization. There's been a lot of sacrifice that Indigenous people have had. People don't talk about it. I've talked about Indigenous people being the, the majority of minorities, but we're widely ignored. Because it's widely accepted to be racist and to just, you know, get over it. It's because nobody wants to look at it as maybe I'm part of that problem. I don't know. Nobody wants to get educated in it either. Because it's easier to just say, you know, well, it wasn't me. It wasn't my ancestors. But when we have like a protection of water, people are pissed off. Get over it, we're told, about everything. Across the board, all the time. And we're talking about generations of constantly being told to get over it, but at the same time being oppressed. And we talked about this beforehand, and it never occurred to you. You were talking about, you know, we we're talking about this system, this government, this government system, and then we have people that are in government and he said what about our prime minister you said that to me and I said you know look at his dad that's his moral compass his dad created the Indian Act and the residential schools were alive and well under Pierre Trudeau he never ended them absolutely oh no he made money off of it he he kept him going there's no moral high ground there at all but I told you in that, and I said, you know, there's things like that, that Indigenous people, we've been oppressed through many different forms of systems. Here in Canada, I'm not talking about around the world, because around the world there's a lot of immoral things happening. But I can only speak about what's happening here in Canada. I went and visited in Israel, seen there. Holocaust Museum. And that was very triggering to me and my wife to witness. Because they have like a child's part. And as soon as we walked out of there, we were just triggered. I traveled with sweetgrass. I had sweetgrass that lit it up. We smudged. I smudged everybody. And I looked at her and I said, what did you see in there? She said, I seen our residential school survivors. That's what I seen. It's the same thing. They did the same thing to it. What they did here, they did the same thing to us in Canada. Then we started really looking at it, talking with a woman that was um, our tour guide. I gave her a t-shirt for my reserve. Muscapeding, band number 80. Why is there a number on there? She said, that's so, that's not okay. Numbers are triggering for me. Well, reserves are numbered. Well, so was our our concentration camp, she said. You want to see something? And I showed her my treaty card. It's the same as the number here, I told her. 
same thing, same concept. That same oppression that we've been under. We've been feeling that for about 150 plus years. And when the pandemic hit, all of Canadian society started to feel what oppression felt like. And they've only felt it for a year. And everybody's mental health declined. Considerably. Because everybody was told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And their ability to say something about it was removed. The, Absolutely. The, the ability to assemble, the ability to have Absolutely. community. Mm-hmm. And it's um, there, there's a reason people fight for freedoms. Um, today in the States, it's Memorial Day, and I'm already struggling with Remembrance Day on uh, November 11th. I'm already struggling with it because of the irony of it. Because we, um, as soldiers, we're supposed to fight for what? Freedoms. And here we are without them. And here we are with restrictions, not living free. So it feels ironic, the idea of Memorial Day. And it feels like all the sacrifice was for nothing. And yet, (laughs) 1996, the end of the residential schools. 1945, the end of World War II. That's a big gap. Fighting for freedoms, but not freedoms for everybody. 1945, the reservation system, what freedoms are there? <laughs> you know, it wasn't freedom for everybody. It was free, free, freedom for everybody but those on the reservations. The, the irony, a friend of mine, Let's use his first name, Sheldon. Only now in this conversation do I understand why every time I post something about Remembrance Day, he uh, um, throws something about uh, indigenous culture and and uh, and the genocide, you know. And I, I never really got it, but now I think I get it, and the irony of it. And our reservation... It's okay, like, when those things happen, when you're going through the understanding and this is what's happening right now, and I feel like some Canadians, maybe it's happening for them, I don't know. But it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. And people want to remedy that uncomfortableness quickly. What do I do? How do I do it? How do, be, how do I become a good person? Because I don't want to be grouped into bigotry and racism. How do I become a good person? I tell my friends that are non-Indigenous, you know, it starts in your little echo chamber, people that you associate with. When those things happen, you shut it down. How do I do that? They said, it's really uncomfortable to do that. You know, I don't want to be... It's uncomfortable to call your friends out on things. And I, my advice to them was always, make them tell the joke three times. By the third time, and you keep saying, I don't get it. By the third time, you start to hear your own voice, and it's 
you start to hear that you're being an asshole. People need to hear that. The grossness of it. Some people won't get it. That's okay. Because that's their journey. Some people will forgive. Oh, you know, it's that generation. They're they're just so different. They they can never learn. You know what? Fuck your racist grandma. That's bullshit. Everybody can learn at it at any age. Stop making excuses for people to grow. She's making a choice. You know what I mean? That's how I think. Because it took me as a queer person to come out in my 30s to talk with my father about homophobia because he thought homophobia was pedophilia. He thought it was the same thing. Because when he went to residential school, the homo the 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 gay guy that was raping molesting all the kids all the boys he was a pedophile so my father thought if you're gay that's how you are and i said no dad i'm not interested in kids that's not who i am The way you're interested in females is the same way I'm interested in females. And what you do in the bedroom is none of my business, and that goes the same way. What I do in the bedroom is none of your business, so don't ask. Nothing about me changed. I'm still the same person that I am. If not, I'm more free. How did he uh, take the news once he understood? Was he good with it? He was more easy to get around it than my mother was. Really? And she was open about that because she, it was to her, she felt like she had to grieve the dream she had for me. She had this like image, and I always tell tell it in a joke. You know, she had this like long haired indigenous male set up for me in this like, perfect image this really great guy and I was like maybe that's for you it's not for me and why do I have to like why is my life only perfect until I meet that mate why can't I be that person why can I be enough and then meet my mate I had those conversations with my mom it wasn't until she gave me away at my wedding that she was like yeah okay you're serious (laughs) (laughs) you're you're in it now but like she was she's learning and she'll say things and not know what she's saying and i'll take a moment and i'll say no mom that's not what that's not how you say things that's not how you do things and she's like really so she's learning and she's also unlearning, and it's uncomfortable, and she gets upset with me. You know, Paulette, I'm learning. I said, I know, Mom. I know you're learning. But how are you going to learn if you don't get a scolding? Get some education. And that's what it is. You feel uncomfortable when you make a mistake. People want to correct it right away. No, no, I don't want you to think, you know, I'm that person. I'm not that person. It's just uncomfortable. There's very few people. Uncomfortableness. Educate yourself. 
What does it actually mean? What is it? What's actually going on? There's very few people that actually want to be the asshole. The um, <laughs> the bottom line is self awareness. And when when I started um, when I invited you on the show, I was hoping to find a way to tie in. Um, trauma in a way that it makes sense to the people that are that are used to the show that are veterans and first responders um and and i'm still struggling to figure out the 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 proper tie-in even though i know there is one it's just that trauma is trauma is trauma and the effects the downstream effects of it uh any kind of substance abuse well you'll see that in any traumatized community any traumatized community, uh, but people don't seem to make that link. You see all these alcoholic police officers, and people go, "Well, it's just part of the job." And then you see a bunch of alcoholic uh, people on a reservation, and you go, "Oh, what a bunch of drunks!" But it's mm-hmm. the, exactly the same thing. These are people that are coping with trauma, with having their mm-hmm. voice taken away which is the worst kind of trauma. There, are, there is a family with four children um, that I know very, very well, that I'm quite close to. Three out of the four children are a complete and total mess. One is uh, on and on, on and off again, homeless. I actually ran into him picking uh, uh, butts out of, uh, of a garbage can once, and I'm like, holy crap, and somebody that I'm quite close to. Um, helped him out that day. The other two suffer from horrible depression, live in, like, their, their home looks like a landfill site, like it's worse than hoarders. Uh, it's, it's, it's amazing they haven't died of some disease. Just horrible, horrible depression. And all of that was because their voice was taken away. When they, when they grew up, their opinions didn't matter. They didn't have a voice. And that's been done to an entire culture. That taking away a voice is trauma. If I don't see you, if I don't hear you, if I don't know who you are, if you are just something that's supposed to do as I say, and that's all that you are, that's trauma. And trauma is dealt with one way or the other. You don't just get over it. You find a way to cope. And if you're lucky if you're wise, if you're supported, you will find a way to heal if you're able to. Some traumas are just so over the top that very few have found the path to healing. And the coping mechanisms are almost always not healthy coping mechanisms. People will drink themselves to sleep so to, um, uh, to get relief from the nightmares, something I know personally. I never drank myself to sleep, but I do have the nightmares, and they are exhausting and terrifying, and you don't want to go to sleep. They're, it's, it's, it's hellish, the, the nightmares. But it is understandable how people need to cope. And I think that is, if, if there's a way to build a bridge, that might be it is looking at the symptoms, the, the coping strategies, the unhealthy coping strategies of trauma the same way. Traumatized communities and alcohol 
it's always a problem. In every, in every traumatized community. A friend of mine killed a woman in downtown Calgary. He did a tour with me. And um, it was his third tour. And he was drinking. And he was drinking and driving. And he killed a woman. And he's never been right since. Uh, he did a stint in jail for it. And it's because he made that horrible decision and made that unreversible mistake because he was coping in an unhealthy way with alcohol. It wasn't recreational. It was, it was medical. It was a really bad prescription for, for what he was going through and dealing with. And we're, that is the boat that we share or the storm that we share rather. We're all in different boats in, in, in a, in a similar storm. Maybe that's the bridge. So I have a question for you. And maybe that will kick off the connection. Why did you invite me onto your show? Because when we met, every word that you would utter, I would be just captivated by. And I would just listen. Because of the power in, in your words. And because I've wanted for a while... To, and I've actually made several inv- invitations. You're just the first one that said yes. You're not the first invitation I've put out to the Indigenous community. Um, you're the first one that said yes. And it's a voice that I know needs to be heard. And it's, if in a small way I can help to build a bridge, because it's about, the bridge means connection. Disconnection is trauma. Disconnection is racism. Disconnection is ignorance. Disconnection is is bigotry. So with a bridge, then if I can see you in me and I can see me in you, I realize that we're not separate. And so if in some small way I can facilitate that, then that's what I have to do because we are all connected. The disconnection is not real. It's an illusion that we've bought into. And the more we believe that we are separate, that we are disconnected, the more the racism. But if I can see you and me, and, and, and if you can see me and you, then we're connected, then we're the same, then we're brothers and sisters. And... And, and that's what I wanted to try to create. And I just wanted to learn from you. I have so much to learn. Because if the more I learn from you, the more I learn about myself. And as people listen to our conversation, maybe something will click with them and something will resonate with them as well. The other thing that we share is a healing journey. We're trying to do better. I know I'm an asshole you know that you're an asshole. And mm-hmm. that is the biggest step <laughs> of, um, <laughs> it was my friend John Sr. when he invited me out to a, a peer support group. The, the, the first and biggest lesson was once you realize that you're an asshole, you can actually do something with that. You can start to make some progress. And I guess it, it's, 
it's not dissimilar with 12 step program stuff like that it's um something that uh, a fella told me god somewhere in like 2007 no early 2005 is that i am the problem i am the solution took me until, and I still don't know if I fully grasp it, but all these years later, uh, 15 years later, 16 years later, I'm, I'm grasping it at a deeper level every year, the truth of that, the ownership of, of that. Uh, I had mentioned to you uh, the practice of Hoponopono is kind of like that, um, the, the Hawaiian um, teaching. But I am the problem, I am the solution. And uh, that I am the asshole that's the hardest part to get to. But once you are, you've got something. And you can start to move forward and walk from the darkness into the light and start to be aware of yourself. And the more aware you are of yourself, the more aware you are of your surroundings. I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Um The way we know each other is through a trauma group. Mm-hmm. Um, I myself, I'm not a veteran. And when we were closing the trauma group, um, I was asked to close off with a prayer. And my teachings was, you never pray before a veteran. And if you're going to, you ask for their permission first. And you thought that was so bizarre. Not bizarre, uh, cool and beautiful. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But I just remember your like was... your reaction was again like what? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sure. You said, it, but and then it was there was an, another one there. It was an and, unexpected gift. And you said, yeah. And my teaching with that is what was taught to me is we have people called Wichashawaka, holy men. They're blessed with that ability and that gift. But then we also have veterans. And we honor them because they've done a sacrifice of their life and their time to protect the better good. Because time is the ultimate sacrifice. They've taken time from their life to protect others. So because of that, you're always supposed to honor your veterans because they've sacrificed their time. And that time can be hard difficult, traumatic. And I was always told, you know, if you wanted to do certain ceremonial things, you can go see a veteran. It's almost preferred instead of seeing it with Joshua Kong. Or a Wea Wakong, holy woman. Holy man. But, and the reason for that is because they're gifted with seeing. 
they're almost gifted the same way as wink days are gifted. Wink days are gifted and wink day means um, the word itself means buffalo fat. But the idea is the society of the in-between. Seeing with both eyes. The queer community, that's the wink day community. That's where I come from. That's my society. And you come from a warrior society. That's also a society. And you were told to see with both eyes. See everything. Be very vigilant, very hyper-vigilant. I wrote a song called uh, Untainted Eyes. I've never recorded it. Perhaps I should. It's it's a dark-ass song. But um, with your untainted eyes, the world's woes are disguised. It's because you haven't seen what's causing the screams and um, is, is, is part of the song. But, um, yeah, I call that the, the untainted eyes because once you've seen a, a, what I call seeing the devil, you can't unsee it. Mm-hmm. And everyone who lives on a reservation has seen the devil through, through his works. And when I say this, if this is the first time somebody is hearing me say this, it doesn't matter if it's a literal interpretation with a pitchfork and a tail and horns. That's not necessarily what I mean. But there is a devil inside us that um, that we're all wrestling with. There's a there's an angel on one shoulder and a devil on the other, and each are whispering in your ear at any given time. And when the devil wins and completely wipes out that angel, the evils that happen, like we've talked about in this incredible conversation about the uh what's happened with the, the residential schools the um the history the the genocide which is a word that people don't like to hear but it's true uh of indigenous peoples in here in canada nice friendly polite canada and this is what we've done when you have seen the true evil of men you can't unsee it and everything has a different look to it after. People say, oh, they would never do that. Really? I've seen much worse. Much worse. And that's the untainted eyes. Mm-hmm. People that haven't seen it can't possibly grasp what one person is willing to do to another or what a government is willing to do to an entire people. And we always think, well, that happened over there. It won't happen over here. But it's happening right now over here. And for those that think, well, yeah, but over here is over there. It's on the res. It can't happen here. Well, it just did. In a much more sanitized way. It, it, it just did. Well, but it's not going to get any worse. But it can. And if we ignore it right here in our backyards, that sometimes there's a lot of good politicians out there. I don't know by a lot, but there's a few. <laughs> I've met them. They're nice people. And I, I quite like them and have a great deal of respect for them. But we're not talking about the individual politicians. We're talking about the system as a whole. And the system as the whole does not have a good track record. 
I encourage anybody to go to um, Moose Jaw, Saskatchewan, and visit the tunnels and have some fun and be entertained by the Al Capone side of it. But whatever you do, don't miss out on the Chinese tour. That happened in Canada, what we did to the Chinese people. In Canada, these people were enslaved, abused, lived a life that is absolutely unbelievable. And the laws that were passed to repress those Chinese people were only repealed like 10 years ago. It was yesterday. But people don't know. And the reason these things happen is because the system as a whole can be evil. And when there aren't check, that's why there's a, a charter of bills and, uh, of rights and freedoms. It's to keep that evil at bay because power is always a scared of losing its power. And when you are scared, you will fight. When you're trapped into a corner, you will fight. And that power fights back at your loss at your expense. We have to ever be vigilant to maintain all of our rights, especially our right of speech. Because when it's gone, we can't defend any of the others. If we can't say what we feel and think and believe, if we are not, not even allowed to speak it, if we're not allowed to gather and, and, and show our resistance to government policies, if, if that's not allowed, if we're not allowed to pray in a church, that is insanely dangerous. Because that power creep doesn't end. And if you think what has happened to our First Nations people can't happen to the entire country, it's already happening. I think we're about there, Paulette. What do you think? I think so. We'll put a pin in it, and we'll do this again. Yes? Absolutely. I think we need to digest this one. I what, think so too. What a conversation, my friend. My God, I'm so grateful that uh, you took time out of your day to have this conversation. I'm honored to be here, like I said before. All right, my friend. And I'm really, really grateful to have met you. But I also believe that this was meant to be. 100% it is. Because we picked this day before this day happened. Yeah, we didn't know it was the day of 2.15. We didn't know. We did not know. But here we are, and we had a good conversation and a lot to think about. Could we close out with a prayer? Sure. And then uh, stay on the line after. If it's okay with you. (laughs) Absolutely. I'm honored. Thank you. Atakashi, Ochoni, Ochima, Kawachoni, Tewa, Kanta, Kawachoni, Ni. 
Mīš ir tā, ko te šajā iemākā līmākajā piemāk pieskāmākajā piemīžu vien tie. Čantījošie. I'm very honored to have this conversation with my friend here. Um, today is a difficult day. As survivors in my life, a lot of them have passed and they're my teachers. And I thank them for their sacrifices and their teachings. Say prayers for all those affected by the 215. Ask everybody to lift their pipes, put down tobacco, pray, smudge. As their relatives are going to make their way home. Also pray for everybody that is learning and also unlearning. Pray keep everybody safe, protected, alive in a good way. Those that are affected by residential school, day schools, say an extra prayer for them because today is tough. As every place you look is a huge trigger and a reminder of the pain that you've occurred. Those affected by intergenerational trauma, those affected by trauma. That we pray for forgiveness for even of ourselves. We carry those burdens in a tough way. Things we don't speak about. We ask that Creator take pity on us and take those things and put them in a place where they won't no longer hurt or harm anybody. Pray for everybody. Have a good day. I'm grateful for my life. Pray for every teaching that I've been given. Um, Thank you, Polly. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Please stay on the line. You're listening to Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. everybody thanks for tuning in now i've got a favor to ask you and i know everybody asked for the same favor but it's really really important if you can help do your little bit by going to apple podcasts leaving a rating and a comment that would be awesome also on your favorite podcast platform whether that be spotify anchor google podcasts or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back please click follow and if there's an option there for rating please do so and this is why every time you click like leave a rating leave a comment what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast the help that you can't find doesn't help at all so help other people find this so that they can help themselves thank you thank you thank you and as always share share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring